board. Anyone that has decision-making ability uh, on the lives of these animals needs to understand that our communities want these beautiful animals and we want to have them safe. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers brought to you by the fur bearers. It's been a spell. Here's the quick review. We had multiple communication campaigns that overlapped each other, which also happened to coincide with the pandemic causing coronavirus showing up in BC mink farms, and we got charitable status just in time for year-end. I got a bit burned out by the holiday break, and some projects needed to be set aside. I apologize to all of you wonderful listeners, as well as those who I was trying to arrange interviews with or finish off episodes for. Now, we're back. And I'm thrilled to finally be sharing this interview with all of you. Lucy Cadman, the executive director of the North Shore Black Bear Society, and Ellie Lamb, bear behavior expert and bear viewing guide and instructor, join me for a call in the late days of fall 2020 to talk about how our actions and inactions impact the behavior of bears, why some strategies to coexist aren't as successful as others, and how we as individuals can truly make a difference for bears and other animals in our communities. To start out, I, I, I thought we'd talk a little bit about what's the primary focus of a lot of the education you do is uh, in the North Shore uh, in the context of what is causing conflicts to exist. Um, and is this something that we can really validate as the case? Uh, and I'm not sure who wants to take that on, Ellie or Lucy. Um, I'm going to ask Ellie to, to answer first because this is really why I invited her uh, to be part of this conversation. Um, Ellie's really helped me redirect her messaging. Now, we'll always have a focus on attracting man- uh, management of attractants, food sources around our homes, but certainly Ellie's been able to share much more insight into the behavior of bears and other reasons why we see them in the community. And by sharing that, we've really... Uh, we've really got the community on board, so uh, thanks to Ellie uh, for, for sharing her insights with us. Oh, thanks, Lou. Um, yeah, so then if if I'm to say, uh, just to clear, be clear about it, you're wondering um, what is the primary focus that we should be looking at uh, that is potentially causing issues with bears and humans in the community, and... Yeah, so you're looking for solutions yes. um, I, I, and also um, being specific as to what what I, I would, my experience has actually shown me uh, it is. I would say that the, uh, the lack of knowledge and understanding of bears uh, on a big scale, actually, on many levels uh, is probably the biggest issue around uh, the conflict, which I say with, uh, again, it's conflict um, that's brought on by humans through their lack of knowledge. It's not bears bringing the conflict. It's humans being fearful that brings conflict. So it would be the lack of knowledge and education of bears that I believe is the cause of um, the issues that we're seeing in our community. And uh, and fixing that would be education and showing people um, through through uh, 
programs through education, like what Lucy does, what I do, uh, you know, more about these animals. And if ever they have an opportunity to go for a guiding opportunity and to actually have the bears speak for themselves is the best. But meanwhile, because that's not easy for most people to do, that is our job to help people understand their intention and their nature and to understand that they're animals that have a range of personality, they have culture, they have tradition, they have society, they have social structure. They, they're they just a very complex animal. They're not just the Pac-Man going through the community eating everything. There's a lot more to them than that. And so understanding them, I don't expect the community to understand them fully, but to understand their language, I think is, a, is an easy piece. They're very clear. And that is what we try to teach people is when a bear does this, this is what you want to do. Or if your bear doesn't see you, this is what you would be um, uh, respectful uh, to the bear to do. Uh, so we try and give answers to what the bear is saying for the people to um, use in, in their lives. I've seen that be very valuable, actually, that exact same thing. Uh, uh, Mike McIntosh at uh, uh, Bear With Us, uh, I will He's I will dub yeah. this over totally. if I did that wrong, but I'm pretty sure I got it right. Uh, That's correct. <laughs> but he did a great presentation I got to watch where he went through a range of behaviors with video showing um, a bear like uh, uh, clapping their jaws, which I had never seen before. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, like they're they're just they're expressing themselves they're making noise and this is yeah. what they're looking to happen and then talking about the difference between a bluff charge and a charge and it's it's the subtleties that again i think they're they are actually very good at telling us as you said we're just not all that good at listening most of the time mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and one of the things as someone who from sort of from the outside has watched a lot of the work you've been doing over the summer uh, and we have been sharing a lot of it through the fur bears because it is such important and such great work. Uh, there's a lot of times people will start challenging. Uh, and I don't think this is always meant in a negative way or a malicious way. I think people take their experience with what they're being told and say, does this compute? And if not, what about this? Mm -hmm. And some of those, I think, are great questions. And some of them aren't great questions. I'll say that. Um, and I thought this would be a fun opportunity, fun quote, um, to go over what some of those are and just explain, you know, in an open kind of, you've got the floor, why is this maybe not the best we can do? And the first one on the list uh, that Lucy included, and of course, it's the one that we see every day regarding any wildlife conflict, is why can't you just take the bear somewhere else? Um, so why can't we just take the bear somewhere else? I, I mean, I think when people understand these animals and just how complex they are um, and respect them, the, the idea of moving a bear from one location to another, like used furniture, is actually um, inconceivable once you understand what, what, a, um, what an incredibly, uh, you know, intelligent and, and deep animal these really are. So their mothers start them off you know, if you take um, a bear and his and his home, um, their mother has taught them everywhere the best bush is, where they where they can get the most amount of berries. But what to be aware of when a bear when another bear comes around a corner, um, you want to make sure you're over here. It's very very intricate 
um, and very complex terrain that, that these animals have to navigate on. And the mothers teach them a lot of that and how to do it, where to get the best fishing spots, where where the best fishing spots are, I should say, and, and how to how to fish, where to fish, where to put your feet, such as in Katmai, where they have the waterfall. You put one mm-hmm. foot here and you put one foot there, open your mouth really wide and you're going to get a fish, you know. <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know. The mothers are very good at teaching their offspring. And so to move a bear from everything they've ever known and everything they've ever felt and every, every, their community, they have community, they have friends, they have enemies, uh, things they know, though. It to move them to a place that has no meaning to them is actually very, um, it, it just borders, it really is a cruel thing to do. So the idea of moving a bear, they do figure it out sometimes, but often be the case, they also will lose their lives because it's also another bear's um, area. So they're not, they're not as adaptable as people think. They will work it out somewhat, some of them, but not all of them. And you end off putting them in a place where their life is in peril. Lucy? Yeah, well, the thing that we really talk about with residents um, that just say, hey, can't you just set a trap like last time? Well, well first of all, we're education and we have no, no role uh, currently in the management of bears, but um, sometimes, um, very rarely, bears will be relocated from the community. It's typically a very short distance relocation, uh, perhaps just two kilometers, and that really is to give residents an opportunity to secure any food sources that were keeping the bear close to homes. Uh, Now, saying that uh, we can just move the bears, that then enables people uh, to leave food around their homes and not act on the solutions that we provide. And it also just creates a void that another bear will fill within days. And we've seen a pattern of this. Last year, the first bear that was killed on the North Shore, a small area in Lynn Valley, um, that bear was killed on the 10th of April. And within five days, another bear occupied that area. Same thing happened this year. Um, and I do want to thank you, Michael, and the fur bearers for um, all the, the support that we received from you this year. And uh, certainly, I'm sure you're aware of two very well-known bears on the North Shore, Plum and Huckleberry, that lost their lives this summer. Mm-hmm. Now, when Huckleberry was killed um, for accessing unsecured garbage, uh, again, within days, Plum occupied um, his home range and, and explored those unnatural food sources. So when, when bears are taken away from the community, whether it's a, a rare relocation or they kill the bear, which is most commonly the outcome, unfortunately, it just enables residents to, to not make the efforts to learn about um, setting the boundaries with bears. Certainly we don't encourage bears to spend time close to people's homes, but given the nature of where we live, we will see bears foraging on the beach. They'll travel down the creeks and the green spaces that we've built our homes beside. And we just have to set the boundaries. We set the boundaries by not leaving food that will bring them close to our homes and letting them know from a safe place when they're not welcome. And we don't need to be aggressive. And I'm sure Ellie will speak much more to the soft skills that bears need. We don't need to be aggressive with these animals. Um, I've had a lot of opportunity this year to 
to kind of be on the ground and uh, spend more time observing them. And certainly I find that my voice is the best tool. They're very intelligent animals that respond to the tone of our voice. So we're trying to let people know uh, that we should be doing that. We should be setting the boundaries with these bears um, because they're very willing to listen. And isn't that the great irony of the day? Um, in a horribly tragic way too, but uh, one of the questions that came up was Carolary, Car Carolili, Carolili, I can do it. No one help me. Carilian bear dogs. There it is. I'm a professional. Um, I can say some things that are written down in front of me. Why don't we use Carilian bear dogs? And I know they are a, a very effective working breed that can be trained to be used in agricultural natural settings. I also know there have been effective uses of dogs in places like airports, where rather than hunting animals that may make it on, they use dogs to harass them away um, from where they uh, there becomes a conflict, uh, typically around the runways and stuff. Um, so why not? Again, I, I, these are some questions I find they're very good because there's a, there's reasonableness behind them. Uh, so why not Corellian bear dogs? Um, do you want me to take this Liz? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the Corellian, I have had a Corellian bear dog and I have, um, done some work with him, uh, just started actually and uh and i also have been interested in seeing the result uh for bears using carillions when i lived in bella Coola. and um you know as we go back to uh soft skills hard skills hard skills um for soft animals is uh what we're seeing right now um the use of uh adversive um you know rubber bullets um uh uh, tools and 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 also guns uh, on these animals. Um, this is hard skills used on a soft animal. Um, Krillians, what category after being around them do I put them in? I put them in the category of hard skills. They're not a soft mm -hmm. skill. They traumatize bears beyond what they need to be traumatized for. And trust me, a traumatized bear is not as easy to live with is one that is comfortable and trusting like they are so by nature. So yeah, I would say the Krillian bear dog, I am not, not a supporter of their use in a community setting. Um, I believe that soft skills are the best approach and it's what bears um, respect and to not traumatize bears and make them hate us. And fear, and fear us is actually a, a smart strategy in moving forward in a relationship with them. That reminds me of something Leslie Sampson has said to me. Uh, I do not remember if this was a presentation or on an interview. She and I have spent a lot of time together over the years now. Um, but talking about one of the problems that we don't consider in conflict with coyotes is has that coyote been harassed and taught that dogs mm -hmm. are a threat? And then how does that inform their behavior around dogs in the future? And I admittedly had never considered that, but it is a very fascinating concept of, are we traumatizing the wildlife and how will that trauma then come out later as it always does? So if I can interrupt there, Mike, Michael, the, mm -hmm. uh, Trauma, I meant to mention that as well. So we have seen dogs 
either killed or chased by bears, such as up in Prince yep. George this year and killed here. Um, these are bears that have been raised around dogs, harassed by dogs, chased by dogs, bit by dogs all their life. And one point they just, some of them at one point, not all of them, some of them just carry on and it's trauma, traumatic and they run, you know, they're fearful now uh, and they're bears and they shouldn't be fearful. But those that take it on, they finally get to a, a critical place where, where the decision is, I'm going after this dog. And they become, and that is from uh, being traumatized by these animals and having them off leash running and, and not having a recall to bring them back and, and just being respectful to the bear. Some people, and we've seen this, uh, Lucy and I, hey Lucy, the uh, video of the bear that was doing nothing wrong and a little Jack Russell was encouraged to go out and chase it and the bear was absolutely traumatized by it. And it's happened a few times with this particular individual in Lower Mainland. And that kind of behavior will create a bear that hates dogs. And that is the that is what the dogs have taught them. And so you put a Krillian bear dog in there. What what is it mm. about a Krillian bear dog that's different than any other dog? Nothing. So yeah, I think we're creating problems where there doesn't have to be one. Uh, when you take a bear and create fear in them, you've got a wild card and you don't want that. You want to allow them to be the, the personality and the nature that they're born into. And that's a tolerant, even social and uh, animal that uh, can coexist very well with human beings. Yeah, they're incredibly tolerant despite constant harassment uh, on the North Shore. They very rarely will push back or, or defend themselves. Um, it's quite incredible, really. I certainly wouldn't have that kind of patience. But uh, that comes up a lot, in fact, um, is that people will reach out and say, hey, I was with my dog and the bear didn't run away. It must mean the bear is aggressive. Uh, so certainly people believe that dogs, bears should be fearful of dogs, which as Ellie states, that's not the case, um, unless we allow our dogs to harass them like that. On our Facebook, I manage our social media for the Fur Bears and Defender Radio, and we have frequently posted content about keeping your dog leashed, particularly in wildlife areas, specifically in BC when the bears are out and about. Um, and we receive... I, I consider it a surprising amount of pushback on that issue specifically. Um, people seem very initially upset when you say, hey, it's not safe for your dog to be running around because these problems can and do occur. And again, this is not something we're, we're guessing at. There is clear documented cause and effect here. Um, how or what have you found to be an effective approach when that conversation starts to really bring it back to this is what's best for everybody? What I what I think a stat is that a lot of people don't know is that over 52 percent of conflict um, with bears has been uh, there's a dog involved. And so we need to know that there is a problem in having the dogs off leash and they're creating problems for, uh, for the human as well, because the dog will go to the safe place when that bear decides he's going after the dog and the dog, if it doesn't mm -hmm. get uh, uh, away and uh, the bear doesn't turn around, um, 
you know, the dog, or if the dog doesn't change the bear's mind and goes right past us, guess who's the last man standing, you know, and uh, the yeah. bear's um, going to probably work around that, but he might not. And those are the, those are the things that we want to prevent is unnecessary stress and, 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 and trauma in these animals. And, and dogs are definitely a big piece of it in our, uh, in our um, communities. It's also a wonderful opportunity to explore, um, I'll use speciesism because it's the most apt term, uh, but the, the little cognitive distortions we give ourselves because the exact story that you've told, and this is a story we've all seen in the media with large animals, be it bears, coyotes, uh, or anything else really, um, exactly as you described, dog comes back to the safety of the person who is suddenly the one left holding the bag. Um, That's right. And it is interesting to me that we hear that exact same story but with mirth when it's an angry raccoon or a skunk that sprayed so he came back to me and I said don't look at me i'm not helping you and you know like who hasn't heard that story around the bar or around a campfire at some points uh yeah. but with a bear yeah. suddenly it's a harrowing experience and the bear's trying to get you so it's just it's another opportunity to really consider our own perspective as we discuss these things. And I got caught in that the other day, actually, in an interview. I said whales were attacking boats when they weren't. They were trying to communicate with them. Uh, yeah, there you go. Well, I think um, bears are not trying to get you so much as they're trying to get the dog and, and yes. make a point with the dog. And usually they'll just turn around at some point, but maybe not because that bear has been traumatized since being a cub. And you gotta remember, they have an ancient history with wolves. Dogs and wolves are, are kind of the same thing to a bear. So they initially start off not really comfortable with them anyway, but they learn to be. If they're well-behaved dogs and they're on leash and they, they tolerate them, right? Mm -hmm. But um, but you you take them off leash and the dog chases and puts trauma in a bear. Um, you know, the bear remembers that when they're a cub and they'll bring that to the surface uh, every once in a while. Now, those are the those are the things that we want to avoid. One of the ones, there's actually two here, and I think they kind of go together. One of these was Lucy's, one of these was mine. The one was, how do I stop a bear from coming into the neighborhood completely? And the one I wanted to talk about was diversionary feeding. And they're not the same, but I think they end up kind of together um, in how they end up getting responded to. So let's start with, can we stop bears from coming into a neighborhood completely? Can we set up a bear-free zone, perhaps with a bear tax? Well, I think, you know, I kind of wonder, I mean, bears will come into the community, not just for food. They come in for safety. They come in if they have a broken leg and they want to heal. You'll see a bear that's sitting there with a leg that's dangling uh, in the community, part, partly, largely, actually, because they are giving themselves time to heal and they feel the community safe. Uh, it's a safer option than having uh, out in the interface where the larger bears are and they're not able to compete there. So they stay in, so safety is a big piece. And uh, and then of course, food is also a, a piece. So, um, you know, it's um, the diversionary feeding can, I, I know that it, it's a very deep and complicated subject and there's many examples mm -hmm. of where that could work and where that wouldn't work. It would, um, it would be a, that's a whole other conversation, but would it work within a community such as the North Shore? Um, I, I, I really am not in a position to answer that. 
Um, but I do know that a one-off situation where a house is out in the you know, acreage and they have bears coming through, they put apples out long ways, uh, you know, a, a kilometer away, the bears will go there and stay out of their yard for a period of time. So de definitely diversionary feeding does work. But remembering too that they're looking for safety and if the grain or rice is in the community, they might eat that. So we're never going to be perfect being humans. We work hard to keep our community clean and we need to work harder. But, you know, they're there for safety. And uh, so, yeah, but diversionary feeding is a big subject. Lucy, do you have something to add to that? Uh, well, really just to kind of echo what you said there is that they're in the community for other reasons. Our communities are full of natural foods as well. Uh, you look at places like the Tri-Cities when they're uh, a salmon spawning just 10 meters away from, from communities there. So we will always see bears traveling through the neighborhoods here in BC and, and especially on the North Shore. Um, and we're just trying to promote a tolerance for the fact that uh, they need to use that space, whether it's for safety or for those natural foods. And even if we did diversionary feed in, it wouldn't eliminate bear activity in our residential areas. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I uh, in what I've read with diversionary feeding, when it has worked, it has been so meticulously done um, and measured yeah. and careful. And again, it's it's not always, and this is the this is the difficulty I have because where I live, we get people feeding raccoons and squirrels and not seeing the consequence. So it's a little different, uh, and it's harder to express the consequence of that. But for example, I went through, I went running through an urban park today and as usual, I saw people feeding squirrels and today it was a, a hard day. So I did not stop and comment, but trying to explain to them that yes, you're just feeding this squirrel, but multiple feel people are feeding multiple squirrels in this small geographic region, which will lead to a population boom and unnatural gathering of these squirrels. By the way, there's foxes and coyotes just around the corner. Um, so now you're going to be drawing foxes and coyotes as well as other things that are going to eat what squirrels eat, like rats mm -hmm. and mice to this area. And then as it gets cold, all of those squirrels, rats and mice are going to be looking for somewhere to sleep. And this place is surrounded yeah. by houses and businesses. And I know that's in part my anxious brain and that's just the way it works. But it, it, and I, I find too, in the media, we aren't able to express how deeply complex ecosystems can be and how small actions can have significant long-term consequences that we just may never even see. Um, so again, I think people who have expressed, oh, I used to feed the bears here. Um, you know, it's if you lived in some area of Northern Ontario is, all, as you've said, a lot different than the geographic layer of the North Shore or really anywhere in the lower mainland that gets closer to the city. Um, you know, it's, it's not like there's a great big vast openness right over there. Absolutely. And, and that and that the idea of management of wildlife is uh, not my favorite term. And yes. for that reason, exactly. I mean, these animals, uh, bears especially, are self-regulating animals and they don't need management. Wolves don't need management. You know, they they get along. Everything is so perfect in the ecosystems. Everything is so perfect. And where it's not, then there'll be a, a shortfall. But we, if we get involved, it's going to be less perfect. And we need to know that we need to be hands off, not hands on when it comes to, uh, you know, um, our wildlife, because it's a, it's a perfect system. And the only thing we mm -hmm. can do is mess it up. So, yeah, I agree with you. 
Yeah, we do have a long human history of fixing the planet, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, fully now we, we speak. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you'd already talked about trauma, and I think that's right. Aggressive hazing is is a great follow-up to that with the, the Karelian bear dogs. Um, I'm going to say that word so many times now to make sure I remember it, by the way. Uh, we've been talking about Karelian bear dogs yeah. for weeks. Uh, so bird bangers, fireworks, beanbag guns, there's all kinds of different tools that exist with the intent of scaring, startling, harassing, or at times harming intentionally wildlife away. Um, bird bangers, I don't know. I, the only place I've ever seen them is in the Niagara Escarpments um, where we have all of the vineyards. And bird bangers are what they sound like. They're just little cannons that shoot air off. In a loud sound to try and startle birds away from the vines. Uh, fireworks are obvious. Beanbag guns are what they sound like. Um, we've already talked a bit about trauma, but are these uh, very aggressive hazing methods in any way valuable? I personally, I believe that there's no value whatsoever in scaring uh, a bear um, in absolutely terrifying a bear put them in trauma there is no value there it's it's a it's a sad statement of our species to do that to an animal so um, communication which is what Lucy and and myself and others uh, really believe in communicating and and moving a bear along and at times having a bit of a dominant nature uh, behind behind what you say. It doesn't mean you carry that into the forest all the time, you're dominant. No, you're quite humble in the forest. You're part of it, you fit in. And animals know when you don't fit in. Um, so I, um, it, it, communication and soft skills, um, even at time, I don't have a problem with pepper spray, but it doesn't have to, you don't have to empty the whole um, bottle out on them. And it's extremely rare that you'd ever need one, need to use it. Um, so that to me is a soft skill, but it's soft skill if it's used correctly. Um, for sure, uh, Carillion uh, bear dogs are not a soft skill. Um, the trauma in a bear, uh, it is forever. And they do recognize um, areas where they've been traumatized. They do recognize vehicles uh, that uh, has recently in Bella Coola, a bear, um, a mother grizzly um, attacked. Uh, well, she threw herself against a conservation truck uh, and damaged herself mortally and was shot by conservation due to the wound but there's in my opinion these animals are reasonable and then they don't fly off they actually have a lot of thought behind what they do and for her to put herself in that position um, of going after she had problems with that particular vehicle had problems with that particular house that she also did the same thing to um, the people in that house. There's there's a lot that goes into a decision of a bear. It's not just a reactive. It can be, but it's more reason. They're more reasonable than we give them credit for. So I think trauma in an animal such as with that mother bear and her three cubs uh, went into rehab recently up north in Smithers. Trauma in a, in a bear is, um, is something that works against 
us and God knows it works against the bear. So yeah, we need to not do that to these animals for sure. Yeah, residents on the North Shore, unfortunately, despite our best efforts, will provide advice to let them know that bear bangers are certainly not necessary. Uh, they're a fire hazard. You can deploy them too far and force the bear into your path, uh, but certainly not recommended uh, in these residential areas. They're incredibly aggressive. One of the saddest things that uh, I encountered it during the summer was we were just kayaking um, uh, around the beaches looking uh, for Plum, uh, the female bear that lived uh, in the deep cove area. And during the middle of the day, uh, a bear banger was launched. Um, I'm hearing constant stories and seeing it myself where people are chasing bears in cars or on foot, literally forcing these bears to run across busy roads. Um, they're forcing them to run through fences in an effort to escape the harassment. And then we all know that property damage uh, is not tolerated by the Conservation Officer Service. So uh, these aggressive extreme measures that people are using either to get a photograph or to force the bear away from the neighborhood um, are not helping anybody. I'd like to ask at least one final question. This is one that's been floating around in my head. Um, yeah, and I feel like you two have unique perspective on this perhaps. We talk a lot about the problems that come when we are, um, when we treat bears and other individuals in the wild poorly. Um, we've been talking about the trauma that we can cause and things like that. However, there's also a flip side, I think, that needs to be addressed. And that is in the, and I'm, I, I'm struggling for a term on this. And if anyone knows a good term to use, I'd love it. Uh, I, I, detest anthropomorphizing because it is an inaccurate word. Uh, but I say the Disneyfication is maybe the easiest one. How do we, while trying to inform people of bears as individuals, as, as lovely, intelligent, caring beings who have all of this, this, this incredible world and these incredible minds and lives, but at the same time, it's still not Bambi. Like going up and trying to hug or get close to a bear is going to be a bad idea. How do we balance those messages? And how do we convey that to a public that we want to love wildlife? You know, I think um, I, uh, re respect uh, for these animals um, is something people uh, learn um, how to show respect to them. And part of which is give them space, uh, allow them to do the important things they have to do, such as uh, feed at the salmon stream to get the weight on so they can reproduce. Um, because without fat on a female's, a pregnant female's body, they reabsorb the, um, they absorb the fetus. So they need to um, respect the processes, the natural processes of these animals. Uh, and not um, and not assume that it, that they that that being close or, or uh, you know is is not in is not impacting. It's very impacting. Um, I don't know, Lucy. Yeah, a lot of our messaging, we're trying to, uh, you know, reduce those irrational fears that people have uh, around bears, thanks to the movies and the media, uh, but certainly promoting that healthy respect. And if you love bears, give them space. Okay, all too often I'm hearing about people actually moving bears away from natural food sources, whether 
that's because they want to take the trail or they're getting too close for a photograph. Um, and all too often that pushes the bear into a residential area. They might supplement that natural diet with a bird feeder or a garbage can and they lose their lives. So we're trying to get people to understand about these animals so that they can care um, in a way that, that is helpful uh, and certainly uh, not directly feeding, not approaching them, giving them space so that they can do what they need to do in order to survive. It's really hard to deal with. Um, mostly people want to do the right thing. Communities want to do the right thing. People are good by nature and they want to do the right thing. And that's where the education comes in, learning about bears as we started off with. Um, for those that don't have that level of respect and just, uh, you know, then I think it's important to say sometimes where there's nothing that we can really do other than um, in enforcement, um, you know, which isn't my job, but, you know, that's what would happen if a person is not respecting um, bears and their natural, what they need. So, um, but the good news is that most people do. They want to learn about these animals. They want, they would like to know how to coexist with them in a fair, measured, kind, and ethical way. And we're not seeing that kind of treatment to bears in the communities um, by uh, officials at this time. So we need to see that from, uh, we need to see that with the officials. What I'm seeing is community members trying, trying to learn and trying to understand uh, these animals and willingness, uh, willingness uh, generally to coexist with them. And, um, but we need to have that across the board. Anyone that has decision-making ability uh, on the lives of these animals needs to understand that our communities want these beautiful animals and we want to have them safe. To learn more about the North Shore Black Bear Society, check out NorthShoreBears.com or find North Shore Black Bear Society on your preferred social channels. I want to thank Ellie and Lucy for their time for this interview and all of you for checking it out. I've got a few interviews lined up already that I'm excited about and think you will be too. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app to make sure you hear them. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bearers reminding you to be kind and to stay informed and stay strong. Stay strong.